Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 41 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Saturday, July 18th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome CEO of Lightstream, Stu Grubbs, back onto the program to discuss the demise of Mixer and their renewed relationship with Xbox. The Xbox One X has been discontinued, and now the July Showcase is finally upon us. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I've become accustomed to doing at the beginning of each of these episodes now, I want to offer a quick word of thanks to two people whose kindness this week helped me get through. The first goes to Adam Leonard, who continues to support my content creation with his exceptional art and advice. All of the XEP art that you've seen on the Twitterverses or in social media or on your podcast platform of choice comes from Adam Leonard. He's also been known to do content creation uh, art for people like Gamertag Radio and The Trophy Room. So Adam, thank you for your continued support, and I, su- I would recommend all of you check him out on Twitter at the Art of Adam L. The second thanks goes this week to Todd Oxtra, who was kind enough to welcome me onto his program last week to talk about The Last of Us 2 in a spoiler cast. While I typically get to focus on Xbox here on XEP, I had a lot to say about The Last of Us 2, and so joining him over on Co-op Mode and Secret Friends Unite's podcast platform, uh, we talked about The Last of Us 2 and our likes and dislikes of the game. Uh, We had several other panel members there. It was a good time, so Todd, thank you for having me on. Ladies and gents, it is time to get excited. July 23rd, that is Christmas in July for Xbox gamers. It is upon us. It is coming up this week. I am so excited for what it is that Xbox has to offer. The focus is on games. We'll see Halo Infinite. We'll see what many of the 15 Xbox game studios are working on. We'll see what our holiday 2020 looks like for first and third party and beyond. I cannot state enough how excited I am to see this bold and incredibly motivated Xbox has to offer to the Gamerverse. We've seen what Sony has. We've seen what Ubisoft had with their Ubisoft Forward last week, which we will talk about. We've seen what so many other people have brought to the table. It's now time to step up for Xbox and see what they've got for their fans. They've had a renewed interest in the gaming industry since 2015. They came out with backward compatibility. They brought the Xbox One S. They brought the Xbox One X. They brought out Game Pass, Game Pass Ultimate. They brought in these studios, and now we get to see the true fruit that this tree and those seeds have borne. I'm so excited for it. Now, Aaron Greenberg came out in a tweet and stated for us to to allow our expectations to be managed appropriately, giving us some insight into exactly what we'll be seeing. He said in his tweet, quote, I know everyone is excited for the Xbox Game Showcase next Thursday. I've seen some wild expectations. So if it's helpful, this show has one focus, games. No business, devices, or similar news, 
just games. A whole show about an hour long focused on games. Hope you enjoy it. End quote. That is exactly what I want to hear. Now, I know we could be talking about the prices for the Xbox Series X, the the long-rumored Lockhart, what that might bring to the table. But the truth is, when we're looking to get excited for what the Xbox platform brings gamers, we want to see games. We will see Halo Infinite campaign gameplay. We will see if they're having that God of War moment. We will see if that long-rumored fable comes to fruition. We're going to see what we all enter this Gamerverse for, games. And that's what I want. I thought Sony had a great presentation roughly a month ago, and they showed a slew of games. They had some things that were that were, were mixed messaging, some things they didn't do right. Microsoft had this exact same problem in their May uh, inside Xbox for sure. But now we're going to see games. That's what I am here for. This reinforces what I think we've been hearing, that there's going to be an August showcase as well that might focus on hardware, might focus on Lockhart, some services adjustments, which which seem to be in the works due to some other things uh, floating around. But I'm all in on this July event for so many reasons, if only to say that it's the last major event from first and third party publishers to come out. And I'm all in for it what does xbox have up their sleeve are we gonna see fable are we gonna be wowed by halo infinite i'm excited for it i'm stoked for it and i cannot tell you how excited i am to see what i don't know that's the biggest thing they brought in these studios these studios are making games what is it it's got to be beyond grounded. It's got to be beyond bleeding edge. We've seen the early portions of that. Now I want to see what they're bringing to the table. They've got the services under wraps. The hardware looks good. Now it's about the games. What do we get? What do we bring to the table? Something that a lot of people have been asking and begging for are third-person narrative-driven games. Single-player story experiences. And while you can get a single-player experience with Halo, you can get a single-player experience with Gears, It's time to have something narrative-based. They need a Horizon Zero Dawn, a God of War, an Uncharted. They need a Last of Us 2. They need something like that. They teased it with Hellblade 2. Are we going to get more? Is Fable the answer to that? So many questions abound. And potentially, depending upon when you listen to this, you will have those answers. Now, I'm stoked. I'm going to be watching this over on Babbit Games' YouTube channel. With him, we'll be doing a live reacts. They'll be on several panels that night over with Mr. Boomstick XL on his YouTube channel. And of course, you'll hear all my impressions about this stuff on the next XEP. But write into me. Tweet me. Let me know what you think of this show so we can compare notes. I'm in for it. Now, what are we not going to hear? Of course, the hardware stuff. Do we, are we going to hear that in August? Yes, I think we are. And that's great. We need right now a focus on games to get excited. And then August, allow that to be the moment where we, okay, we start truly planning. At this moment, many gamers are planning how to arrange their entertainment systems. They've seen the PS5 and its size. They know what the Xbox Series X looks like and what its sizes are. So now... They need to look at the financial planning. What am I going to get? How much am I going to spend? Do I get that extra controller? Do I really need it? Do I need an Xbox? Do I need this? Do I need that? There's a lot to unpack there. The games sell the system. They always do. They always have. They can. The system can be fugly as can be, but if it's got good games, people are going to dive in. Now, there's, a, there's some leeway in, in those statements, but the reality is gamers play games, not systems. Xbox better bring it. 
I think they will bring it. I'm excited to see what they bring. And the the, the harsh reality, something we often talk about, temper your expectations, you manage your disappointments, know that you're not going to be given the world, have a, have a reasonable expectation. This showcase is the one that Xbox needs to show up for. Simple as that. They've done everything right in the past three years. Everything's been pretty darn solid. Be or better, I would argue. Be or better in, in the last three years. They managed to get 50 million Xbox Ones out there to have 10 million plus Game Pass subscribers. They're doing great. They need the games. And this, this is the make or break show. Halo Infinite needs to wow people. It does. If it had the reboot in 2018 as we've heard, they need, it, then it better pay off. This needs to be the one that, that marks Xbox as being a mainstay major player for the next 10 years. They've put the financial investments in. That's clear. Xbox wants to be here for the next 10 years, which is reassuring given the, I would say, uh, troubled landscape that gaming can be that's been taught to us. There's my dog. Taught to us by Amazon. Taught to us by Google Stadia. We've seen studios be shuttered. Microsoft wants to be here for the next 10 years. Easily, easily seen. This show kicks that off and they need to deliver now several other showcases took place this summer some delivered some didn't last week's episode we talk about ubisoft forward also i put out a poll just to see because you know people say ubisoft people say ubisoft some people do it to ingest or not it's ubisoft but i love saying ubisoft it's just fun for me ubisoft ubisoft forward took place this past week and kind of it was largely uneventful, if I got to be honest with you. I thought it was a good showcase. It was it was fine, but whether you want to blame it on leaks or just blame it on you know meh presentation, I didn't really think it had a wow factor to it. We saw Sam Fisher and Splinter Cell return into mobile game form, which I know disappointed a lot of people. Maybe we get a Splinter Cell game coming up. Uh, Ubisoft did say they've got another Ubisoft Forward coming up in the next months that's great and that's exciting but really the highlights of the show had to do with release dates for Watch Dogs Legion which we got uh, an extensive gameplay preview for release dates for Assassin's Creed Valhalla and Far Cry 6 I got a lot of mixed feelings about this let's look at these dates first and then unpack some ideas here Watch Dogs Legion is coming out on October 29th October 29th Watch Dogs Legion Assassin's Creed Valhalla November 17th, Far Cry 6, February 18th. That makes for a packed holiday season. Prior to December 31st, you're going to be getting games like Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed, Avengers, COD, Halo Infinite, Miles Morales, Cyberpunk, and who knows what yet unannounced projects are coming out this year. That is a packed arena. Not to mention all the stuff that's rolling over from Smart Delivery. There's a lot there, and I'm sure I've missed some that are, we already know about. The choice to put Watch Dogs Legion on October 29th, and then three weeks later, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, does make me scratch my head a little bit, because Watch Dogs is a cyber aesthetic. It's not cyberpunk, but it's a cyber aesthetic, which means it's going to, intentionally or not, people will offer comparisons to cyberpunk. Now, unless that game gets delayed, those are two games that I don't think want to go toe-to-toe. Cyberpunk is going to trounce anyone's expectations simply by way of the weight of what it's said to be bringing to the table. And Watch Dogs doesn't have the best track record. That name brand doesn't have the power that Cyberpunk does. So I'm surprised to see Watch Dog Legion come out October 29th ahead of all of this 
instead of a January when people have had time to consume, when they've got the gift cards from holidays, and when they could be buying into it in a January window, uh, perhaps a bit less com- with a bit less competition, as we would say. Similarly, Watch Dogs Legion, an open world game. Valhalla, an open world game. Two open world games, three weeks apart, seems to be a surprise to me why Ubisoft would compete with themselves. This goes back to the EA problem I mentioned in last week's episode. Why would you put two games very similar so close to one another? Valhalla's going to eat its lunch. Assassin's Creed Valhalla has the hype around it. It has the name brand recognition. And Assassin's Creed far stronger in name brand recognition right now due to Odyssey and Origins than Watch Dogs is. There's there's no way around that. So I think the idea that Ubisoft has is get in early ahead of next gen, get in there, get people to buy in, and then sell it you know on sale as Ubisoft games usually do throughout the holiday and hope that the game has legs. I I don't know that that's the best move, particularly when there's so much competition for for shelf space, and I use that term uh, loosely. Really, it's about mind share and visibility with other games. I, I really think January would have been the better call there, but so it goes. The gameplay looked fine. It didn't look bad. Nothing about it screamed next-gen to me by any means. It looked like Watch Dogs. It looked like an open-world Ubisoft game. Nothing looked special about it, but it looked cool. Nothing looked bad either. Don't misunderstand me. Looking special and looking next-gen is very different than looking bad. Nothing looked bad about it. It looks like a good game. I just don't know that it's going to get a lot of people buying into it and making the money back that they want on there. Maybe there's some next-gen AI tech in there. Who knows? Uh, but I, I don't I don't see it looking at what they showed me. Nonetheless, October 29th, if you're in on, on Watch Dogs, you, you've got it there for you. And it's got a smart delivery title. That's neat. Far Cry 6, of course. I mean, we, we saw the, the, the unfortunate leak last week. And then, of course, we see the reveal cool nothing about it sells me as being different on far cry we didn't see too much there of course the actors are high profile and then that all looks great i just don't know that far cry is is different enough going forward of course we'll play it i'm excited to see it when when it happens and that's coming out february 18th that seems to me like an ideal release date i i wonder if we'll see more delays to major games due to coronavirus it's been enough time where I think timelines are, are equaling out and people and studios likely have a steady production knowing what they can and cannot do. And so getting stuff out ahead of holidays has probably been the priority. But I would imagine the first half of next year is rather slow for major players, for AAA games. We'll see what happens there, but uh, more to come on Far Cry. I think, I think it's a bit early to pass too much judgment, but nothing seemed overly overly exceptional in the reveal we saw. But 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 good stuff. One interesting note that came out is all this optimized for X, Series X, box art. People are, are, are weighing in on the box arts of PS5 and, and Xbox Series X. Great, fine. I'm pretty digital, so I'm not overly concerned about it. Um, the Xbox Series X art looks a little busy with that optimized for X art is what people are complaining about. But what was noted in Far Cry 6's box art is that there is a specific line in the fine print that says Far Cry 6 will have 4K Ultra HD only on Xbox One X and Xbox Series X. And that felt very odd. No PS4, PS5 mentioned. So people reached out to Ubisoft support on Twitter and asked for clarification. Is this a misprint? Is this a marketing thing? And they responded that Far Cry 6 will not be supporting 4K Ultra HD on PS4, PS5 only on Xbox One X and Series X. That seems strange, I suppose, because an Xbox One X is in there. 
but not a PS4, not a PS5 in that, which which raises eyebrows, I think, for some. To be honest, really, truly, I don't care. I don't think it matters. I think people are going to play a game if it's fun. doesn't matter how what 4K teraflops and skips are, how many pixel counts there are. Breath of the Wild taught me that early on. Uh, this generation, I, it doesn't, I don't think it matters, but that will be a talking point when the news articles start getting written that the Xbox One X can do something, or the Series X can do something, the PS5 can't, this, that, or the other. That's that's how narratives are made. So maybe this works in Xbox's favor. Maybe it just flies past and nobody worries about it on their radar. I think it's something to 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 keep like a, a, a peripheral vision on, but, but not a big deal, like whatever. If games look as good as they do during this generation, we're going to be happy. Do we want them to look better? Absolutely. But, I mean, not, not an overly huge deal. Bottom line, to round this out, I am super stoked to see, in the wake of Ubisoft's forward, I would say, fine presentation. Whatever Xbox brings on July 23rd, I'm stoked for it, I'm in for it, and I'm so excited to be sold into next gen. And I hope they deliver. They should deliver. They must deliver. And we'll talk in a week and see if they do. As exciting as the July 23rd event is definitely going to be, something interesting happened in this past week for Xbox productions and hardware, and that is that the Xbox One X has been discontinued. That's right, the Xbox One X is no longer going to be manufactured. And this is interesting, and it makes way for the Xbox Series X hardware, presumably for, presumably for Lockhart, but the Xbox One X and the Xbox One S All Digital Edition have been discontinued. Microsoft is officially halting production on those consoles uh, with a statement saying, quote, As we ramp into future with Xbox Series X, we're taking the natural step of stocking, stopping production on Xbox One X and the Xbox One S All Digital Edition. Xbox One S will continue to be manufactured and sold globally, end quote. This is exciting and a little bit odd, but also not unexpected when you examine it from a couple different fronts. It offers uh, streamlined production for their newer hardware. It exits out hardware that probably wasn't selling on a major scale. The Xbox One S All Digital Edition, the SAT Edition, probably was more of a pilot program to see if it would work. And of course, Sony's own all-digital PS5 seems to say that there is a market for this, and the Xbox One X was an extremely impressive piece of hardware. If you've ever picked it up, it's heavy as a ton of bricks for sure, but it was expensive, and it had architecture that, while powerful, isn't as streamlined as the upcoming Series X and Lockhart generations, so it makes sense to lower those productions. The Xbox One S, of course, a cheap product. Uh, I say that in terms of production, not in terms of quality, but it's a cheaper product that can be sold uh, for a profit and still bring people into the ecosystem, make use of xCloud, make use of Game Pass, make use of games with gold, etc. So there's no reason to get rid of that, but getting rid of more expensive productions does make sense. And this is, I think, an exciting thing, but also I'm a little bit sad to see it happen. The Xbox One X was always marketed as a premium device. Remember, when the Xbox One S was announced, the X was announced alongside it and came out a year later. Now I look over at my shelf and I see the Project Scorpio Xbox One X and I see the Gears of War Xbox One X and I'm very fortunate and I did shell out a pretty penny for both, but I had debated selling one of them in order to help pay for a Series X. I don't think I'm going to do that any longer. And the Xbox One X is a special, unique piece of hardware that managed to carve out its niche space in the console market. And yet, 
Uh, it didn't go the way of the Dodo in the same way that some consoles do. I think it's a special piece of hardware, and it's unique in and of itself. Plus, to have a Project Scorpio edition and to have a Gears, that system is gorgeous. It's neat. It's really, really neat. Now, uh, several, several people wrote in about this topic, and I plucked a question out from our good friend Assemble, uh, and he says, With the swirling rumors of Lockhart and the discontinued Xbox One X, what does the next round of consoles look like to you? Are we getting a diskless 4K Lockhart? Should the, X, should the One X have stayed on shelves and just to be discounted? Does the physical box even matter that much to Xbox right now? Assemble, those are great questions, and there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, let's go with the, the, the first part. Are we getting a diskless 4K Lockhart? I see a world where Lockhart certainly could have a diskless or all-digital edition. That does, does seem to make sense. Uh, if the Lockhart is meant to be an entry point, and, and, and we're saying all of this, mind you, for any dear listener who's not sure, nothing's confirmed about Lockhart. We are basing this on speculation and consistently appearing evidence that Lockhart exists. But, uh, Assemble, I do think it's quite possible there is an all-digital Lockhart edition meant to save costs. Now, a disk drive is roughly 50 bucks in terms of production, so it's not going to save you a ton of money, but it's it's certainly going to save you something. And if that next-gen architecture streamlines the way we see graphics and it's not based solely on teraflops, yeah, I think you do see a diskless version of it. I don't think it... I wouldn't be shocked one way or the other, but, yeah, it seems to make sense. Uh, to your question of, should the 1X have stayed on shelves and just been discounted? No, I think this is the right choice. It was always a premium and special device, and I don't think it was going to sell ever nearly as many 1Ss uh, as, as the 1S. And Phil Spencer has made quotes to that same point. He says he's far more likely and he's planning to sell more Xbox One Ss than he did, uh, than, than Xs. And that is true. He did do that. So... I don't think it's a surprising thing, and and the ones that are out there become collectors' at I, uh, items on on some level, I suppose. And there's no reason not to just kind of clear space and clear production lines for that. It's a great piece of hardware, but it was always premium, and there's there's uh, a better market to casuals than a premium market to to expensive buy-ins. So I like that it's going away. I don't. I am. I am sad in a way that I tip my hat and I appreciate the good service the One X has done. But I am also ready for my Series X, and I will adore my One X uh, around for display and uh, celebrate it for the the great times that it gave me. Now, the last part of your question: Does the physical box matter that much to the Xbox right now? Yes and no is the easy answer there, and I don't mean to dodge your question, but I mean that sincerely. It matters as an entry point for some, whether it's the Series X or the Lockhart, it's an entry point into the ecosystem. But it is no longer the only entry point, and that's something that we consistently go back to in terms of these pillars that Microsoft is creating to carry its business into next-gen and to hold up their business going forward. The box is one method, but they don't want physical barriers keeping people out of their business model. That's why Game Pass exists. That's why Game Pass on PC exists, along with Ultimate combining the two. That's why they are now going to be including xCloud into the Game Pass Ultimate service. Which does bring us to our next topic. Starting in September, Game Pass Ultimate will be combined with xCloud, making big moves, allowing and paving the way into next-gen xCloud allows you to play Xbox games without a device. So if you've got 
Game Pass Ultimate, you've got xCloud. That's just how it is. They're working on rolling it to more countries, and it's pretty cool. Now, this was reported in an Xbox Wire blog post where Microsoft reiterated commitments to backward compatibility. They discussed the various accessories that work and do not work and how they scale their games across different hardware types. It's really exciting to me to see that Game Pass Ultimate really does mean that ultimate and that you get xCloud, you get games with gold you get Xbox Live, and you get Game Pass, and you can do it from your phone. Come September, I'll be able to play Halo with my friend who's on their phone, my friend who's on his PC, my friend who's on his Xbox One S, my friend who's on his Xbox One X. I can do that all together with the same package of Game Pass Ultimate. That's great, and it pays the way. Uh, Paves the way, rather, for this new generation and entry points that no longer require the physical box, going back to Assemble's question. Now, several people have speculated that this also paves the way for Xbox Live Gold to go the way of the Dodo and to die out and be phased out. We've noticed that several of the year subscriptions and some smaller Game Pass, pardon me, several smaller Xbox Live Gold subscriptions are disappearing from digital storefronts. You can no longer re-up your Xbox Live Gold for a year. You can get Game Pass, you can get Game Pass Ultimate, but not Xbox Live Gold. Leading people to question, is this being phased out? Is this bad? No, this is not bad. This is evolution. This is survivability at the dawn of a new generation. They're phasing out Xbox Live as a paid service, allowing this to be to become a free service. You get Xbox Live if you have Xbox. It makes no sense to have people have another pay barrier. To, to play Xbox games if they're trying to do this new strategy of you don't need the box. You got a PC, you can play. You got Xbox Game Pass, you can play. You got xCloud, you can pay play. That's the idea. So I think they're moving towards, slowly, mind you, because they've got a, the honor previous subscriptions, etc. They're moving towards Xbox Live Gold being free. Games with Gold, I would imagine, goes away as well over time. They phase it out. Evolution and survivability. Phase out Xbox Live Gold over time, bring people and onboard them into your ecosystem by way of Game Pass, by way of Game Pass Ultimate, by way of PC, and by way of Series X and Lockhart. That's how you bring them on. But don't put another pay barrier up as a hidden fee like Xbox Live is for many people that buy in. You go out and get an Xbox One S, 200 bucks, and you're like, yes, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go play you know, Sea of Thieves with my friends. Up, oh, you need a Game Pass subscription. Up. Oh, or you need an Xbox Live subscription. Oh, or you can do Game Pass Ultimate. Too many options. Slim that down. Get rid of Xbox Live Gold. Just say it's free if you've got the system and dive on in. That's my suggestion on that one. That's my thought. And I think that's what's going to happen and that is the strategy. We also know that it's far cheaper to keep existing customers than to onboard new ones. So using this as a pilot program into Game Pass, making it free, seems to be a logical choice and a strategy. So that's my thought on that going forward. Game Pass Ultimate now including xCloud, Xbox One X being discontinued, July 23rd event uh, on the horizon. Guys, there's a lot that's being set up for a new wave and a new generation, including our interview later on in this episode where we talked to Stu Grubbs about Mixer going away. This is Microsoft streamlining and preparing themselves for something special, and I am so on board with it, and I hope you guys are too. There's a lot of eyes here, and pressure is on Xbox, as it should be. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, 
finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. We're going fast and furious this week, and I am having a blast with you. We had several people continue to write in questions and thoughts. Famous Seamus, one of the most amazing supporters of this show. Famous Seamus writes in every single week, and I do appreciate it. He says, do you think xCloud being included with Game Pass Ultimate will increase in subscribers? Oh, that's a great question, Famous. Uh, yes, I, absolutely. We know that Game Pass has over 10 million in its service right now. Over 10 million. So we're looking at 10 million plus people in the Game Pass world. And whether they bought in for a dollar, they got the $3, they bought in extra here and there, that means they are signed up for a subscription and rollover-based service. They'll be paying full price at some point unless they keep re-upping and paying attention because that's how subscription services work. We also know that if they're in Game Pass, they've got access to a lot of games on the platform. They'll be sharing screenshots. They'll be buying season passes or buying DLC, microtransactions. They're in the ecosystem. And allowing one more method of use by way of xCloud does keep them spending money. Yes, it will increase subscribers. Yes, it will increase availability and visibility of that service. And it will continue to raise the bar for expectations of that service and onboard customers into it. If more and more people are saying, hey, I love PS5, I love playing Miles Morales, but I'm also playing Halo Infinite on xCloud with my buddies, dope, sweet. That's good for Xbox. It, it raises the stakes. Oh, I don't want to buy a Series X and and pay $500 for a new system, but I definitely want to play Halo Infinite. Man, no problem. Jump in on xCloud. Try it out. Cool. That's a, that's a neat and interesting uh, proposition that hasn't yet existed in the world of video games and console video games for a long time in the way that it's going to now, and that's exciting. I'm so in on that. Yes, Famous Amos, it does increase subscribers. Assemble writes in again supporting the show. He says, should I drop coin for the Series X or just run with my gaming PC? It's powerful enough to handle the games with everything being connected. Do I even bother with the new box? Assemble, I think a lot of gamers are asking that question, and I do not think you need to buy an Xbox Series X at launch if you're on the fence about it. There's a lot of unknowns at the point of this recording. We'll find out more next week. We'll find out more next month. But right now, I think it's a fair question to be asking. I think a lot of people are asking that same question. And what you do need to know is that Xbox doesn't care if you buy an Xbox Series X or you play on your gaming PC. If you can play the games you want to play Assemble and now all that stuff is available and you like playing on your PC, you want to play Sea of Thieves, you want to play the Game Pass offerings, you want to play that stuff on your PC, do it. Xbox does not mind. They're not your best friend. They are not anything more than a business partner, and their job is to provide you with a suitable service for your dollar. And if you've got the money that you've put out for a great gaming PC and you can play the games you want to play and have the experience you want to have, you do not need to go spend more money on a Series X. Similarly, if maybe you can't have that or you're on the fence and you're like, ah, I don't know, I kind of want that still traditional console experience, dude, maybe Lockhart's for you. If you're not sure if you should drop the coin, don't. That goes for everybody. If they can't sell you on the box, don't give them the credit. And because it says Xbox and you want to have the new toy, don't just go do that blindly. Absolutely not. Wait and see, Assemble. Wait and see anybody else. Make Xbox come to you because that's the best way to, to, to get good business there. And be sold in that respect. 
I'm in on a Series X because I host an Xbox show, and and because really and truly, I love Halo, and Xbox continues to provide me experiences that I want to have on the best available system. That's what I want out of it. I look at my shelf. A lot of those games are Xbox exclusives. A lot of them aren't. Cool. That's fine. But if you've got a great rig, and you like PC gaming, and they're offering you a way to play their games on PC, there's no reason for you to go buy that box. There's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. So I would say wait and see for sure. But they don't mind. You shouldn't mind. Wait and see what you want to do. Last thought and question comes from Bill Coniglio, and he offers it as more of a a statement, a talking point. He describes it, and he says, "All you ever hear about somebody, all you ever hear when somebody wins a console race is how many systems are sold." I believe for a while now that with many of the services and ways for revenue to be had, the overall income, that that should be a metric. Now more than ever, there's a lack of clear generations and services on Microsoft's side. All the other things you also hear are that people buy a PlayStation for the exclusives. But if you look at the numbers, it isn't very flattering. The biggest exclusive is Uncharted 4, which launched early in the system's life cycle and has impressive numbers. But after that, you have Spider-Man, which has a roughly 1 in, one in 10 attach rate on PlayStation 4. Impressive sales for sure, but not something I would call system selling. Bill, I... I I understand what you're saying, but I vehemently disagree. Spider-Man is a system seller. One in ten systems, that that doesn't sound like a great attach rate, except when you examine that over 110 million PS4s have been sold. That means 10 million Spider-Man Plus have been sold. That's a system seller. People are buying in on that name brand. Uh, I do hear a lot about PS4 exclusives. And do you know why I hear about them? Because they're good, they rate well, and... A lot of what happens in gaming is people will see their options. They can play Call of Duty, FIFA, Madden, Battlefield, anywhere on any system. They can play those anywhere. But then they'll examine, okay, what can I get on one system versus another? And if Horizon Zero Dawn is more appealing to them than Sea of Thieves, they're going to go PlayStation. If Sea of Thieves is more appealing than Horizon, they're going to go Xbox. And so those exclusives matter in that respect. Now, Microsoft, to your point about services and revenue is changing the game, and as we talked about many times before, with the way they're going to onboard customers and how they don't mind where you play. But I think it's a, a misrepresentation of data to say that because it's a 1 in 10 attach rate that it's not system selling. I disagree with that. I think that's just accidentally manipulating data to say otherwise. If you've got a 1 in 5 attach rate for Halo 5, you know, is that skewed by Game Pass? Does that mean you know 10 million... 10 million copies of Halo 5 have sold because they've sold 50 million. Well, 1 in 5 sounds better than 1 in 10, but it's the same number of units. And so you have to really examine some of that when you look at data in that respect. The bottom line is, at the end of all of this, all three major party platforms have been making money. That's what businesses want to do is make money. And if we can have all three of them making money and we can play the games we want to play and choose where and how we want to play them, dope. That's the way we want to be as customers. That's what we want to demand as customers. And absolutely, we should be on board with that. So I, I do understand what you're saying, but I think I disagree with the, the basic point. Sony gets all the credit in the world for creating exclusives that sold people. Xbox has exclusives that sold people. Don't misunderstand that either. A lot of people are in here for Gears and Forza and Sea of Thieves and Halo. A lot of people are here for that. But maybe not as, as vocal uh, a vocal group. A lot of Microsoft's business was built on multiplayer. That uh, is not something that Sony built upon. And now what's happening? I think we're seeing a pendulum shift. Sony's seeing the revenue being made. 
They're looking into how to, to make money with that. We've seen experiments from Sony this generation fail, but try to make money in the multiplayer realm. We've also seen Microsoft try to make single-player narrative experiences that didn't quite work out. Microsoft of old tried the Quantum Break route. Didn't quite work out, but they made money on State of Decay, Sea of Thieves. Halo 5 multiplayer still makes money, which is interesting and unique. Uh, Gears 5 still going strong within its community, although it didn't, didn't garner the mind share. Got a strong community and great sales. There's a lot of ways to make money, and Microsoft's doing the th- single-player narrative. Hailblade's on its way, man, along with Fable and whatever else we see at July Showcase. So a lot to unpack there. I love your thoughts, man. Keep questioning everything and keep demanding the best from the people that make games for you. Alrighty, guys. Now, we've had a Fast and Furious episode. I was I was hyped. I'm excited. I hope you can feel the energy in my voice. I hope you can feel the excitement for this July showcase. I am ready for it. I try just to, to be, as a content creator, a bit more hmm, tempered in the way I approach some of the news segments, a journalistic approach versus a panelist member on a, on a podcast kind of thing, just because I think that's what the tone of XCP typically is. But I could not contain it this week. I am so ready to see what the final player in Next Gen has to offer. We've seen from everybody else, it's time for Xbox to show up and show out. And I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. I am. Now, before I roll, I, I, I want to... I want to offer you some words of wisdom in this next topic. We're going to hear from Stu Groves, the CEO of Lightstream. It's a product I use when I stream over on Twitch. I used it on Mixer. It was a combined service with Mixer Pro. Lightstream is what allows you with a browser to put overlays in streams that you would normally use a PC for or a capture card. I'm not a PC guy, and so I use Lightstream. And Lightstream was nailed to the to seemingly had a nail put in their coffin when Mixer shut down. And Stu Grubbs, the CEO of the company, uh, joined me early on in XEP's life cycle. I believe he was the third guest to ever join the show. And then he comes back on in this next interview to talk about what happened to their company, how they found out in a tweet that their company's major source of income was gone. He talks about how they manage that, how their relationship with Microsoft is different than their relationship with Xbox, and how Mixer's demise change their business and what they're doing to survive and bring incredible technologies to gamers still. It's neat. If you haven't heard the old interview, go check that out. Lightstream did some cool stuff, including the same tech that you use to play video games and have overlays and stream and all that is the same tech that can monitor beaches for distressed swimmers via drones. Really neat stuff. Stu's a really cool guy, and I, I, I will gush about that for sure. This next interview, it got a little emotional, uh, so please know that, but there's some pretty cool stuff here to talk about how to recover from a business when, when the finances go. What does it mean when your company's major source of income is gone? How do you stick around in a gaming industry that is cutthroat? Stu talks about that. We go in depth with it. It's a little bit, it's a bit heavy in some spots, but uh, I would encourage all of you to reach out to Stu or Lightstream on Twitter. Check out their business model. I use it. I pay for it myself, just to be clear. I don't get any, I didn't get a free code or anything of that nature. Definitely worth worth checking out for sure. All right, guys, have a wonderful rest of your week. I hope to see you on Twitch over at twitch.tv slash insipidghost. I hope to see you on Twitter at insipidghost, and you can always email me insipidghost at gmail.com. For now, enjoy this interview. Enjoy the July 23rd showcase, and I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care.
All right. We are very fortunate to welcome back on the show, returning from his appearance back in December of 2019, CEO of Lightstream, Stu Grubbs. Stu, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. It's a weird question to ask in 2020. This it's like, hey, how are <laughs> Always you? Is. What ton of bricks has hit you this week? You know, good enough is what I hear most of the time. <laughs> good enough. So I had you on seven months ago, which feels like a long time ago. And at that time, we were spotlighting Lightstream for the technologies that it brought to gamers in the streaming world and the viewing of streaming. Uh, can you refresh our minds? What is Lightstream? What do you guys do? Yeah, I mean, simply put, uh, Lightstream for most people on Xbox or now PlayStation, we'll get into that later, but on Xbox has been a cloud-based capture card. Your Xbox is able to stream. So instead of streaming straight to your platform of choice, you would stream to us. We would layer on all your graphics, alerts, overlays, whatnot, and then send that to your viewers. And the beautiful part about it is it was much less expensive than the hardware version and it was very low latency. Uh, when we were working with Mixer, it was sub-second for most people. And even now what we're doing with Twitch is around four seconds from your Xbox all the way to your viewers. So it's that's what we've been doing for the last couple of years, making it easy. And making it easy seems to be the name of the game because I am not a PC person, as my audience is well aware. And I thoroughly enjoy streaming when I'm able. I was doing it over on Mixer. No PC, using Lightstream as, uh, to set up all of that stuff. Now over on Twitch, that had to be a big change. Before we talk about the changeovers for Mixer, when you look at the technology for Lightstream now versus when we talked seven months ago, is is the basic premise tech any different I think it's a little bit different in the sense that uh, we put a lot of effort in with Mixer over the last seven months to clean up a lot of the rough edges. And so we spent a significant amount of time looking into uh, our signaling, the quality of that signal, how we do the handshake between our service and the Xbox and Mixer. And so what's unfortunate about the current situation is that, you know, we had put a uh, quite a bit of polish on what had already been pretty beloved amongst the people that used it. Um, what's great, though, about what we build typically is that we get to reuse a lot of that. Um, we've been able to uh, reduce costs on our end, which allowed us to launch our own plans, which we'll talk about, I'm, I'm sure, in a little bit, at a, at a low price. Um, there's been advantages to working this hard on improving the technology. The basic premise, the basic signal flow is much the same, but I think it's the nuance in how you do that and um, chipping away at those little improvements. And when you add all those improvements up, I'd say the system is significantly better than it was when we talked seven months ago, but it's all due to no massive changes, actually lots of lots of little improvements along the way. That's interesting. Now, tell me this. One of the things I like about Lightstream a lot is that I am not a PC person by any means, and I do enjoy streaming. So I would use it with Mixer, uh, tie it in. Now I'm doing that over on Twitch. Uh, to my to my viewpoint, the users on the on the or the viewers, I should say, they don't see a difference between something that's running on Capture Card versus something that's running through Lightstream. Has that been your feedback as well? And how do you guys work to to maintain that balance? Yeah, I think that quite a number of people are able to get to the result that they saw in their head when they thought about maybe I should become a streamer, maybe I should share my experience um, using uh, our, our technology. 
I think that there are times where you can see the difference. I think that we've um, we've seen that in some of the uh, you know 4K level games, you know things like that. But no one's streaming in 4K, and nobody should be streaming in 4K or 1080/60. Your viewers are going to have a hard time watching that. Um, and so, what's great about that is that the majority of folks have found a lot of success with what we've built. Um, we've striking that balance has been, you know, one of the things we always talk about is that. In the same way that the iPhone or a great Android phone has turned most people into professional photographer by doing a thousand calculations in the background, when all you have to do is hit the button, I think that's what we've been trying to do for live streaming since we started the company. I want you to be able to go live from your Xbox. I want a thousand calculations to happen in the background around your current network signal, your bit rate, uh, the quality level, and this stuff just to happen for you. And you get to focus, you get to focus on sharing your experience. Um, and so for, it's always been the goal to be that, um, to be that smooth. I think it, you know, it's always got its hiccups. I don't think we've always been our best at it. Uh, but that's the name of the game as you're trying to build something over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, striking that balance has been, um, fairly straightforward for us. It all comes down to what is, what is the gamer's experience? And since many of us on the team are gamers, it's an easy question to answer. How do we make this as simple as go live, start talking, enjoy my stream? So, And and that's what it is, particularly for somebody like me who I, I repeatedly say PC's not my jam. Now, you guys were... It's, I think very much, at least in my mind, hand in hand with Mixer for, for a good amount of time. And Mixer recently pulled the plug uh, in an, an el- a less elegant way than I think we might have wanted. Um, talk to me about what that did for your business and how, how that changed <laughs> Lightstream. Yeah. So what did that do for our business? Um couple different things. Uh, you, you mentioned a few things, so I want to kind of address each of them. As a large company with a massive platform, and, and you know, Mixer may not have been growing as fast in some ways on some metrics as some of the other platforms, but Mixer was, in fact, growing. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that Mixer's revenue is way up year over year, way, way up. Um, Mixer was growing in other ways in terms of quality of audience and uh, how, many, how much of that audience was coming back. And those things are, you know, not the fancy metrics that like to get touted in the news. And, you know, for whatever reason, Microsoft decided, you know, we're going to pull the plug. I think in ways, this is a good example of a company who recognized that this is going to be a hard game to win. And so let's not, you know, we've spent good money here. We gave it a shot, but let's not, you know, just drown in debt for years and try to like just throw too much money into it. So I, I can see logically how they arrived at their decision. And I also think that once you make that decision, it's a very hard thing to tell the community. I mean, one of the things that we noticed, for instance, right away was as soon as it was announced, there was a massive drop off on people streaming a mixer. They're not going to hang out until the dying day and then switch to Twitch. They just left. And so whether mixer gave us three months to make that call or uh, a month to make that call uh, as a community, uh, there was going to be 
a very weird transition period. Like imagine what we've seen over the last month where every channel is essentially promoting somebody's new channel, right? Um, and imagine three months of half the platform, half the community sticking it out and the other half of the community having already left and just all these dead channels. So I kind of get why it was so sudden. Um, I'm very frustrated as a partner for multiple years, uh, the kind of notice we were given, the kind of trust we were given. Um, I'm very frustrated for a lot of my friends uh, that were on the Mixer team and who got very little notice. And I don't mind saying that. I mean, I, I do think that I think the employees could have been trusted with the information sooner. I think partnered streamers can have been trusted with the information sooner. Maybe not. You know, I, I can't be, you know, I can't be the head of Mixer. I can't be <laughs> at Microsoft to understand why they believed that this wasn't trustworthy information, but especially as a small business that was tied to Mixer and we were tied closely. And so I, I do think they could have given more uh, even confidential notice, which they gave none. We found out via the tweet. Um, several friends of mine who worked there found out via an all hands that was minutes before the tweet. Maybe out, maybe an hour or two, but you know I don't want to be hyperbolic. But they found out same day, um, and I spent my day watching hundreds of streamers. You know, some of them to the point of tears that they had built. I mean, they built their business, mm-hmm. right? Tens of thousands of followers, and um, I think the thing that was misunderstood by whoever was in leadership was that it is not as simple as saying, Oh, well you can just go to Facebook and you'll already be partnered. You can't copy and paste your followers. They all have to refollow. They all have to resubscribe. They all have to, you know, all the little, those little things have to be redone. And so, I mean, I think that the reason they should have known it was just watching Ninja. I mean, when Ninja came over, you know, that's it's probably one of the people with the most amount of pull in the industry. And even they didn't survive a transition as much as they could, you know, could or should have. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I just feel like they should have known better and and how smooth or not smooth that would have gone. Um, And so for our business, yeah, I mean, our deal with Microsoft was that we provided our service as part of Mixer Pro. And we got paid uh, for every hour that Mixer creators broadcast with Livestream. Um, and that's how we were compensated. And so the minute it was announced, the minute our revenue, uh, you know, essentially was eviscerated. Uh, it wasn't totally wiped out, but you watch the streaming hours go down right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're a small team, I, I think I think most people know this, but we're about 25 people. Uh, we're about... 10 to 15 engineers at any given time, five support people, and the rest of us who, you know, help the company run, look for new deals, look for new opportunities, um, make those things happen, plan them out, design them, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's, as a small team, it's, it was, um, it was scary. Yeah. So you go through, you have that moment, you probably have that realization, that surreal kind of, kind of idea of, of, Okay, my world has changed. That has to be tough. And you probably have a few private things said. Now, now your, your feet hit the ground. You start changing things. You're already available now for me. Like I, I switched to Twitch, rebuilding that follower base, like you said. Mm-hmm. I'm using Lightstream now on Twitch. 
I'm using Lightstream uh, to to send out my content that way. And my understanding is, and we even talked about this seven months ago, that you guys were working on a method of, of getting onto PlayStation that Lightstream is going to be available in, in more prominent and better ways now going forward. Uh, how, don't tell me about the adjustment per se, but tell me what you're doing now to keep yourselves afloat and to grow. Yeah. I mean, I think the first day was when we called the team together and I said, what can we do? What can we do right now? Not about revenue, but there's a lot of people trying to make a transition to their new channels. What can we do? And one of the engineers on our team, um, spoke up and said, hey, we've always restricted the Mixer project to Mixer only. Why don't we break that rule? And, you know, a month before that would have been unthinkable because this is, you know, a big customer. We don't want to make them mad. Uh, I was like, yep, that sounds great. <laughs> and so what can we do? And so we put multi-streaming into the Mixer project. And um, that was at our cost. That cost us money to do. Um, it's a it's a double stream, right? We're paying for bandwidth to Mixer and to Twitch. But we were able to get a feed from Mixer, split that, send it to Mixer. We had to send it to Mixer to keep the connection live. It's just how the integration was built. But we were able to send that second feed over to Twitch. Second thing we started looking at is, okay, how do we get a feed? Um just to Twitch because we've got a lot of people that are saying, you know, I'm done. I don't want to dual stream. I actually just want to fully move on. And we started playing around with Twitch's Xbox app. And I, you know, I've been poking Twitch for, I don't know, about a, I'd say a year or two, um, more aggressively over the last year about how their Xbox app can stream. Why not add the option to send it to Lightstream and, you know, the pitch, <laughs> but, and, uh, you know, that conversation was slow going. It's, you know, they're definitely listening these days. Um, and I think the people over there always thought it was a great idea, but like any big company, there's limited resources. They've got their own goals and their own ambitions. And so, um, but that conversation started happening. And so I, you know, I put out that tweet to Phil Spencer, you know, kudos to him for, uh, responding. He put me in touch with his leadership team across different services on Xbox. We had a great conversation. They were, you know, sensitive to the fact that people were going to lose their ability to stream. Uh, you know, were they ultimately with a console launching this year able to prevent the option from going away off the Xbox? No. Um, just once, once things like that are in motion, it's hard to, you know, put a stop on it. Uh, they did recognize that it might've been a little too abrupt, but, uh, we're working on something now that I think is going to be awesome, uh, for the Xbox, uh, and, and beyond the partnership is actually seems warmer than it was when we were just locked into Mixer. So that's, that's cool to see. That's one positive note. Um, to be clear, you're talking about the, the part, the relationship between Lightstream and Xbox in this case. Correct. Um, I think one thing people misunderstand about large companies is that Microsoft is really a bundle of independent business units. So Xbox was its own thing and Mixer was its own thing. And the communication between those two are like, you know, cousins or siblings, but no, neither one of them has a responsibility to the other to grow. Xbox has its goals for the year. Mixer had its goals for the year. And if you saw a Mixer integration on Xbox, it's because two people on each side felt passionate about it and made it happen. But there was no responsibility to the other to support them. So what happened was is that, you know, we existed as a Mixer partner. And 
we built the mixer integration. It happened to be on Xbox. It was also on Windows. Uh, and it was also in a couple of other places like Mixer Create, the mobile app. So when Mixer goes away, Xbox, whose primary goal is to spread you know, the gospel of Xbox, play Xbox games, have an Xbox experience, be part of the Xbox family. Their mission is to spread that wherever, you know, they'll be had, you know, whether it be Twitch, YouTube, whatever. So when I reached out, this idea that Xbox could be integrated with Lightstream and not just Mixer, and that could go anywhere. That could spread the word about how great Xbox is on YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, whatever. It was very attractive to them, and the conversation has really picked up speed because of that. So it's really, as I said, um, changed the relationship in a really positive way with us and Xbox because pri- you know, primarily our interaction has been with Mixer for years. So it, it almost opened up the possibilities. And so everyone in the room is really excited about that. I would, I would think so, and what a big turnaround I would imagine, you know, month apart uh, in the big events, I would imagine that that helps quite a bit. And so that's on the internal side. You guys are working and talking there externally to gamers, to to streamers, to viewers. You guys have rolled out uh, a fix, essentially, for gamers to make use of your tech in a similar way. It's a little bit of a, a little bit of a trick. Um, I don't think it's a permanent solution. Uh, but what, yeah, you're right. What we rolled out, um, the first thing we rolled out is that people's Mixer Pro is disappearing. Um, the ability to renew Mixer Pro is impossible, but that's how a lot of people got access to Lightstream. It's how everyone got access to Lightstream. And we figured out that the Mixer API checked for either a Mixer Pro subscription or a Lightstream subscription because our plan was this year to launch upgradable Lightstream plans. And so since that change was in place, we were able to launch our paid plans to replace Mixer Pro. So it was a big win. Um, you know, I'm not sure if we got a little help on the inside of Mixer over there, but the point is, is that people who had expiring Mixer Pros and were going to be without an option, uh, we're able to sign up for a, a live stream plan. You know, we made those free until Mixer shuts down because our deal with Mixer continues until they shut down. So we, we did that at our, our cost. And I think that was the right move to do. And, and we've seen a lot of people sign up for that. The second thing we did, um, was trying to find a way to support all the Twitch streamers. Um, you know, we would have loved to support, I think, uh, we would have loved to support folks moving to tr- Facebook and YouTube, um, but there is no current way on the Xbox to get a YouTube or a Facebook feed. But we were able with the Twitch app to set up this DNS trick. So the DNS trick is every computer in the world uses DNS. Whenever you go to a domain name, it, a DNS service, usually belonging to your internet service provider, says google.com equals this IP address or, you know, and, and what have you. And so we set up a service that is our own DNS service, domain, domain name um, service. And essentially, when you're, you switch your Xbox to this DNS, Every time it reaches out and goes, hey, what is hey, what is this Twitch ingest server? We return a Lightstream ingest server. So that way, when you go live from the Twitch app on Xbox and it tries to send that video to a Twitch ingest, it instead ends up sending it to a Lightstream ingest where we're, we are able to recognize the stream by the stream key the Twitch app sends and then send 
put on all your overlays, and then send that to Twitch with the same stream key you sent us. If you try to go to any other service or website or whatever on your Xbox, we just pass it through to Google's DNS servers or to Cloudflare's DNS servers. So we don't do anything with any domain name that isn't a Twitch ingest. But this neat trick allows us to route video to us first so you can have all your graphics and overlays and then send it off to Twitch. Again, technical solution. I don't think we should be asking every gamer in the world to be using our DNS servers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we're really looking forward uh, over the next month of releasing some more official paths for people. But it got the job done and thousands of people are using it. So, okay, so two things in that. First, it got the job done. Thousands of people are already in. That's dope. Second, you said more official things are on their way. Can you elaborate that at all? I can say that... There, we're, we are having conversations with streaming platforms and with Xbox themselves to make more official paths where the most you'll have to do is toggle on the light stream integration. And that will feel clean and that'll feel easy and it'll be just as easy as it used to be. I can't say more than that at this time. I can tell you that the light stream plans that we have released will be the pricing forever. So you don't have to worry about pricing going up. We're very happy that we were able to offer something as as low priced as $8 a month. Um, Considering all the video processing we're doing in the cloud, it's it's, um, a bit of magic. We were able to get to a cost structure that allows that. Um, But, yeah, we are definitely working with all the powers that be uh, to bring PlayStation and Xbox on to major live streaming platforms in a very easy way without having to go out and buy additional hardware or buy a streaming PC and all of that. I love that. I mean, I love that. And I, I know I'm on, on an interview with the CEO, but it makes life so easy that I can't get behind that idea enough because it just removes barriers. And I know that was a core principle of something you guys had with the company in the very beginning and it's working. It really, it really warms the team's heart because this has been our intention since we founded the company. How easy and approachable can we make this problem? And I think it goes beyond just North America. Um, it goes beyond, um, you know, Europe as we've expanded our servers in our partnership with Xbox. You know, many people don't realize that buying hardware in other countries can be very expensive after import. Um, can be cost prohibitive. It can be very hard to be a gamer. It can be very expensive to be a gamer in a lot of other countries. Uh, we went down to Brazil with uh, Mixer. And at the Brazil Game Show, we had a number of Mixer partners come up to us and say, a capture card here is 300 bucks in Brazil. And I was able to pay for Mixer Pro for $8.00 and become a partnered streamer and I still use Lightstream as a partnered streamer. We actually powered a large percentage um, of Mixer partners. So they, they were yeah, they were able to make partner it's not just for it's not just, you know, for getting started. It's not just for making it easy, but there were partnered streamers continuing to use Lightstream to build their business and to share their experiences. 
That's that's the dream, man. That's that's what it's all about. You you're opening doors. Well, Stu Grubbs, uh, I can tell that I've taken up quite a bit of your time, and I appreciate <laughs> so much uh, you taking the time to be the first return guest to XEP. <laughs> uh, Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I I know it's been a rough and strange year, of course, but also especially with uh, the mixer changeovers. But thank you for for doing what you do, and uh, let everybody know where they can find out. Uh, or find you on social media, but also find out more if they want to to invest or check Lightstream out. Yeah, uh, I think most of the community knows I've been really active on Twitter, hyping up our newest, uh, latest, and greatest stuff. So you can find me on Twitter at stuv2, uh, and then Lightstream is just at Lightstream, L-I-G-H-T Stream on Twitter. Uh, we got some. More tricks up our sleeve coming out uh, over the next few weeks that I hope everyone's pretty excited about. Um, we've been very excited that this trick of ours uh, worked for PlayStation. I hope to see a lot more PlayStation gamers also coming out too. Everyone should share in that, uh, in that experience.